นมูตสามกุมาตัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุตัสสามนมูตสามกุมาตัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุตัสสามนมูตสามกุมาตัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุตัสสามพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามสังฆ์ This evening, in, instead of the uh, usual uh, contemplation of the Dhamma teaching on our calendar page, I'd like to pick up another theme uh, to. Look into together, and that is something that we hear about, read about often these days, and is extremism mm-hmm. or extreme ideologies. Mm-hmm. Don't have to uh, read much of the news, or before these words pop out and. There are genuine causes for concern in the increasing extreme activity on many areas. You hear about the extreme left or the far right or anti-far or these days the anti-vax, which is not just. A group of people who don't approve of medical vaccination, but they terrorize people online who happen to promote an opposite argument, and apparently even belief in the earth being flat is a popular view these days. And And some of these extreme views and positions are uh, more difficult to accommodate than others. But for those of us who, <coughs> who feel our commitment to the inner life, the contemplative life, really matters. How do we handle? How do we handle extremism? How do we? How do we understand extreme ideologies? What's going on? How do we meet these matters? And, and it's not just what you might read in a news article, but the passion and distress that a lot of people express and their relationship to extreme ideologies. And so. We could, of course, consider these matters in terms of politics or economics or anthropology, sociology, and use the language of those disciplines. And, and of course, they all have their place. But here, we're primarily concerned with. The core, I think, we could say, the core dimension of our human existence. Yeah. Most deeply, where is this coming from? What, 
what's really going on? And I would suggest that what's at the core of these movements, these extreme positions that so many people are taking, is the pursuit of a sense of security. That's in my own consideration on these matters, it's these positions that people take. It's it's got the the energy, it's got the zeal of of religious fervour to it. And and it has the the tone of desperate attempts to find a sense of security and a sense of identity. And where's that coming from? Why is that happening? So, thinking about the core dimension, which personally I like to think in terms of the using the expression psycho-spiritual. I don't know if that's an accurate use of the word or if there is such a proper word, psycho-spiritual, but the inner life, which is dealt with in the language of psychology, and but then the more deeper dimension also, which of course we are all committed to, the, the spiritual dimension. There's, a, there's an interconnectedness there. If psychology is the discipline of investigating inner activity, mental activity, emotional activity, balanced or imbalanced and activity of mind and spirituality or the, the spiritual journey is a cultivation of the investigation of the actuality of that activity. It's in the same dimension, it's inwards, but it's not the same thing. Where do our sense of identity come from? Where do our feelings, where do our emotions, where do our thoughts come from? How do they manifest? Are they balanced? Are they obsessive? It's the consideration of psychologists, psychotherapists, and when they go out of sync, they go out of balance, well, there are things that can be done about that, and but even if we do reach a good enough level of conventional happiness and contentment, what's the actual truth? Does that really save us from suffering? And, and so that's the domain of the world's religions and the cultivation of the spiritual journey, the experiences that we have, the joy of life, the sorrow of life. What's actually going on there? Is joy an ultimate permanent condition? Can we grasp joy? What happens if we try to grasp joy? Do we own joy? Do we own sorrow? Is there an owner of all of this activity? Is there a permanent actual somebody who really knows joy and sorrow, liking and disliking? Understanding the actuality um, of this activity is of a different dimension. So the, the language that we would use when we consider these issues is uh, identity, extremism, extreme ideologies is distinctly different from the language that would be used for 
perhaps looking at these things from the perspective of politics or economics or I think we can all agree that there is an increase in extremism and in my own thoughts on these things I I find it helpful to look back and say well what's changed recently relatively recently in human activity what are human beings doing now that they didn't used to be doing or what are they not doing that they used to be doing and one of the things that obviously jumps out and I'm sure everybody is acutely aware of is the development of technology there's no question about that there is in the last few decades uh, the advancements in technology have brought about an increasingly accelerating rate of change and with that also uh, it seems pretty evident an increasing prevalence of uncertainty and and then with that a lot of anxiety so that's evident and the rate of change surely has never been as rapid as it is these days. But equally important, or perhaps even more important, and personally my own thinking, it's even more important, is, is what's happened in the realm of religion in the last, particularly the last century throughout all of humanity throughout all the history of humanity religion has played a very central role in all cultures but in the last century it's, the influence has waned dramatically you know, the influence of materialism as it's expressed in communism and scientism and has definitely diluted religious faith and whereas a hundred years ago the average person um, almost certainly had some sort of belief uh, and went to church or uh, even if they didn't go to church every week uh, it did matter it certainly mattered and if they didn't go to church it was, it was some other equivalent religious belief that mattered to them and it's not necessarily immediately obvious what the waning of the influence of religion has done to us. That life has always been uncertain. That's always been the case. There's nothing new about uncertainty. Now, apparent certainty has been something that we've gotten used to in the, you know, the last century and since the the Second World War, things have appeared to be quite certain and safe for a while, but that's actually rare. Most of existence is evident uncertainty. There's nothing new about uncertainty, it's just now more evident. Life has always been difficult. However, with religion, there was always the perception that somebody was taking care of things. There was somebody outside of me. There was somebody ultimate or something ultimate, some principle, some being 
that was overseeing everything, that was dependable, reliable. I was always living in relationship with something that was inherently dependable, unchanging, as the Christians say in their hymn, Abide with me, O thou that changeth not, abide with me. An unchanging, omnipresent, omnipotent, truly dependable, all-loving, all-caring, almighty, that was taking care of things, that I was always living in relationship with that. I was relativized, in other words. The personality was not the most important thing that was happening. Self was not the center of everything. The Almighty was the center. And that's gone now. And I think for a lot of people, if you talk about religion, it's just dismissed. It's, it's passé. It's, it's last century. It's not relevant. And people generally, a lot of people don't even want to consider it or talk about it. And they, they seem to have the view that religion was like, you know, it's like you lived in this house and it became too dilapidated and, and, and eventually crumbled and fell down and they moved into another house. But it's my observation that for a huge percentage of the population, they didn't move into another house. They're just wandering around in the wilderness. Vast numbers of people don't seem to have any real sense of security, any real abiding, or as Buddhists would say, any refuge, any place to abide and feel safe, and they're busy looking for safe spaces outwardly, demanding safe spaces. And, And I would suggest that these pursuits of extremist views is related to that. The prevalence of materialism, which expressed in scientism and communism and various other forms, it doesn't necessarily dismiss the place of consciousness, but it ignores the profound consequence of that area of our being. And scientists, for instance, quite readily acknowledge that they don't understand the nature of consciousness. And and, and unfortunately, I would say, they, they generally don't turn to the wisdom that's been experienced directly and understood by those who have done the experiments and come to perceive directly the dynamics of consciousness. And so, sadly, regrettably, tragically even, the relevance of the dynamics of consciousness is dismissed. And, and so materialism takes over. And so over the last century... It seems to me, gradually and then more recently, increasingly, the relevance of religion has waned to the point where, for many people, it's completely dismissed. And and the result of that is that it's left the sense of me, the sense of self, the sense of I, the personality, Exposed, vulnerable. And what's it vulnerable to? It's vulnerable to a sense of self importance. Self is now, for many people, the centre of their existence. My personality is the most important thing. Promoting 
my personality, projecting myself, being validated, being appreciated, my rights being respected, is the most important thing. In other words, it's not relativized anymore. So the conventional religious beliefs used to provide some protection, some security, by way of relativizing personality belief. I expect all of us would have given it enough thought to realize that an individuated sense of self emerges by about the age of seven uh, is necessary and to be able to navigate our way through the world. Uh, but if we don't find a way of seeing beyond this sense of self, the sense of personality, the sense of me and my way, if we don't see it in perspective, then we end up being deeply unhappy because this structure of self is a complex of regularly repeating patterns of mental activity. It's unstable. It's inherently unstable. The personality is not a fixed thing. All of us, we can... We can we're very familiar, I'm sure, with feeling very happy and very contented and, and perhaps even feeling utterly convinced that it's always going to be this way, like falling in love. It's always going to be this way. And it's not. It never is. Or, or for some people, feeling sad, feeling depressed can be equally utterly convincing. It's always going to be this way. But these moods, these activities that I get born into, I am confident, I am unconfident. These experiences, these variations on the theme of me, are evidently very unreliable. And yet, for vast numbers of the human population, this sense of I, this me, this is the centre of the universe. This is their source of identity. But expecting this to produce a sense of security is like biting into a lemon and expecting it to taste sweet. And the experience of biting into a lemon is always sour, and yet we try over and over again, you know, clinging to the sense of self, clinging to me and my way, promoting me and my way, trying to make it secure when it is inherently insecure. There's nothing wrong with it being insecure. That's just its nature. It's just the same as there's nothing wrong with lemons being sour. But if we keep biting into one lemon after another, hoping that one day we're going to find a sweet lemon, well, it's really it's kind of crazy. You know, or like the image that I've often referred to, of if you've got a wound on your forehead and you look in the mirror to put some cream on it, but then instead of putting the cream on your forehead, you put the cream on the mirror, well, that's kind of crazy. But that's actually exactly what many of us, most of us maybe, are doing most of the time. We mistake the image of ourselves, the conditioned, accumulated image, impression of who and what I am, as who and what I really am. And so we hold fast to the sense of self and expecting it to make us feel secure, but it doesn't. And so it's perfectly predictable that so many people feel deeply insecure and are desperately trying to find a sense of security by clinging to a view or a position 
And a lot of these views and positions are evidently very crazy. They're, they're not going to produce well-being. At the very least, they pit us against other people who don't share the same views and positions. What the extreme right and the extreme left are doing politically, or trying to find an identity in a fixed position. Even those who are conventionally religious these days are, generally speaking, not thoroughly convinced by their religious beliefs anymore because everybody's trying to be tolerant of everybody else. And, and so the belief systems that used to provide a sense of certainty and security, even those don't these days serve that function anymore. So what can we do about it? Well, from the Dhamma perspective, this isn't a disaster. This is actually to be expected that if we cling to something that's inherently unstable, then we're going to feel unstable. If we cling to something that's transient or insecure, then we're going to feel insecure. And the Buddha was acutely aware of this. It wasn't that this is just a new phenomena. The Buddha encouraged, in fact, investigating all of these experiences, not trying to find an ultimate experience or an ultimate view to believe in and cling to and hope that it's going to produce a sense of security. Relatively speaking, something like that did used to work. You didn't meet people who didn't share your beliefs. Everybody in your area shared your beliefs and, so relatively speaking, that sort of produced a sense of some degree of security. However, in today's world, with so much mobility and uh, encountering people with a great variety of beliefs, and the conviction that used to come from clinging to beliefs has been diluted and they don't tend to work anymore. But again, it's not a disaster, it's not hopeless. But we, we do need to develop the ability to investigate in this age of scientism. It's uh, actually encouraged. And we don't have to adhere to all the uh, beliefs that scientism promotes. The idea that consciousness, for instance, is produced by matter, is, you know, we can investigate that, develop our faculties of investigation, develop what the Buddha referred to as skillful means, upaya. Uh, the, the perception of the collapse of the established order that is so prevalent these days uh, is just that it's a perception. And if we develop the skillful means of learning how to quieten the mind, still the active thinking mind, cultivate quietness of heart, and feel what we feel like when we're confronted with chaos, rather than just reacting to it. That's a different approach. That's not looking for a belief or a position that we can hold to, hoping that it's going to 
make us feel okay again, but it's stepping back and taking in all experience. There's nothing that is not up for investigation. And there are signs that actually there are more and more people willing to take this approach now, not necessarily looking for just a quick fix or a rearrangement of the furniture. And even at the recent gathering in Davos that takes place each year of the uber-rich, uh, there was a, a think tank which came out with the conclusion that there's no longer any point in trying to tweak the predicament we find ourselves in. The, the uh, established order that we've grown used to for the last 70 years, I think they, they said, it, it is broken. It's not going to be fixed. We're in a, it's basically a paradigm shift. There's so many structures shifting on so many levels Uh, the politics uh, is adversarial politics really the only model well it's not, there's also consensus politics Uh, is the economy that we've been using for so long the only model no it's not There's, uh, there's a whole new mode of cryptocurrency emerging the realm of relationships and social structures so much change taking place on so many levels that imagining that we can just tweak it and get back to the old familiar sense of security is naive at best and and so it's relieving to see that there are people who are now in tune with the rate of change and recognising that uh, we need actually a radical shift in perspective on our human experience. People don't have to go along with Buddhist religion and believe in Buddhism to benefit from picking up the skillful means that the Buddha taught. Uh, in this regard, the the encouragement that the Buddha gave us to don't be afraid of uncertainty but get interested in it. Don't be afraid of the feeling of loss of identity but get interested in it. Develop the spiritual faculties, develop the skillful means so that the heart and mind become stilled enough, quiet enough to be able to look inwards at the dynamic of consciousness and make our own personal investigation say, what's really going on here? This longing for a sense of security is a movement in mind. It's not something going wrong. It's perfectly natural, perfectly understandable. Wanting to feel secure, but clinging to the desire to feel secure, what happens there? What happens if we cling to the desire if desire is in motion, if desire is unstable and we cling to it, what happens? So if we're not going to cling to the desire to feel secure, what's the alternative? Well, again, this is where the skillful means that we've been taught equip us so that we can ask those questions not of a book or of a so-called expert, but of our own hearts and minds. Get interested. What? What else can I do? 
Is there a different sort of relationship to the desire for security, the desire for a secure sense of identity, to ask ourselves when the heart and mind is quiet and still? And if we can't do that, then what is the nature of the obstructions? Maybe it's fear. Maybe we come across anxiety. Maybe we come across anger. Maybe anger is the dominant obstruction. And Well, there are skillful means for dealing with that. The, the Buddha's teachings on cultivating loving kindness is not just a belief system that nice people go along with. It's, it's something altogether different. Kindness or self-forgiveness. You know, because in this journey of inquiry, of interested discovery of what works and what doesn't work, of course we're going to fail over and over again, guaranteed. We're going to miss the mark. And if we're compulsively judging ourselves all the time, well, we're not going to get past that point. So what is the nature of the compulsive judging mind? That's a question we can ask. That's a deeply relevant question. We don't have to have information about the compulsive judging mind to inquire into the actuality of a compulsive judging mind. We do need to have sufficient steadiness of heart and mind, enough discipline of attention, enough clarity, enough self-respect, which comes from a life of integrity. These conditions, these factors do need to be in place, but if they are, well then... We can study this compulsive judging mind and and maybe we come to recognize the skillful means of judgment-free awareness. A few years ago, I was always going on about here and now, whole body, mind, judgment-free awareness. And and because those are skillful means, which I, I personally found really valuable. Now, Those are not the same words as you find in the traditional Buddhist scriptures, but something like that you do find in the traditional Buddhist scriptures. Like here and now, we're just chanting, Sanditiko, talking about the qualities of the Dhamma. Sanditiko, Akaliko, Ehipachiko. What do these words really mean? Now, we can be rabbiting on in Pali, feeling like we're doing something spiritual, but are these words really connecting with our inner sense of insecurity and uncertainty and leading us in a direction that is truly meaningful. In other words, does it work? Is our effort working or not? So the framing it with here and now, disciplining attention instead of always being distracted by the past and the future, other times, other places, to discipline attention, to be here, be now. Yes, we can remember things that happened in the past, but that's a memory. That's like a photograph. You turn it over and on the side it's white, it's blank. There's nothing there. It's two-dimensional. Memories are not the same as that which is remembered or fantasies about the future. We can imagine all sorts of amazing, wonderful or terrible things in the future, but those are fantasies. They're not the same thing that is actually going to happen in the future. So it's really valuable, really useful to develop the skillful means of disciplined attention that can be established here and now. Whole body mind. You read the 
discourse, the setting up the four foundations of mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta. Anyway, yeah. It's not just the body that we, and it's not just in the body that we develop awareness, it's not just in feelings, it's not just in the minds, the, the whole body mind, this whole experience. Yeah. What does my little toe feel about this situation? That's a good question to ask. A lot of the time we're just up in our heads, lost in the attic, playing with our computer. That's a very limited perspective on experience. So we develop the skillful means of embodied awareness. It's not just the body, though, also the mind. The movement of liking and disliking. Can we discipline attention to study these? Here and now, whole body mind, judgment-free awareness. If we're compulsively caught up in taking sides for and against everything, including ourselves, that's a very painful struggle. Buddha's teachings on the cultivation of loving kindness and inclining towards a level of intelligence that comes when we let go of discriminative thinking, unitive intelligence instead of discriminative intelligence. There's an intelligence there, there's a, a radiance there. There's an understanding potentially available there when we stop taking sides. Really precious if we can discover judgment-free awareness. We can make all sorts of mistakes and learn from it. So if we don't have the judgment-free awareness that is willing to begin again, however many times we fail, with increasing patience, increasing kindness, increasing self-forgiveness and then we encounter obstructions but these are our obstructions these are conditions that we are invited to investigate in the pursuit of true identity, true security so as I'm saying here now whole body mind judgment free awareness is a theme of I used to repeat over and over again from years ago most recently uh, I've been talking about silent, selfless, spacious, just knowing awareness. Silent, selfless, spacious, just knowing awareness. Which is different again. But again, the cultivation of skillful means, it is the case that our tricky mind can start imitating the practice we think we're investigating, we think we're applying a particular skill, but the deluded personality has taken over and we're, we're not really doing the same thing anymore. So, again, it's skillful to have the agility to shift when that's what's called for. So, yes, we familiarise ourselves with the teachings that are given in the tradition, and also we cultivate the willingness to discover for ourselves what works you know, like for many people focusing on uh, the breathing in and breathing out meditation they find the, their controlling compulsions kick in and the rhythm of the breathing gets interrupted and they become more tense and stressed and then they feel they fail and they try again and they feel they fail and Ajahn Sumato shared 
some years ago something he had found in his own experiment in practice, listening to what he called the sound of silence. There's nothing in the traditional Theravadan scriptures about the sound of silence. But as my first meditation teacher in Thailand, Ajahn Tate, pointed out, there are many skillful means, many avenues of investigation that are not contained within the tradition, scriptures. What matters is what works. What helps us grow in confidence as we find we can dissolve our habits of attachment, our tendencies to cling to false sources of security, to fixed views, fixed opinions. If we start to experience for ourselves the rewards of this path of investigation, then with that comes a Uh, a sense of understanding, a sense of perspective on those desperate attempts that that some people are making to find security by clinging to fixed views and opinions. And we don't have to be disturbed by emerging extremist ideologies. That helps. We don't have to just turn away from it. We don't have to wring our hands and feel it's all hopeless. It's not all hopeless. But we do need to hone down our capacity for investigating our own personal dilemmas when we ourselves feel a loss of identity, uh, a sense of insecurity, a sense of uncertainty. Let's not be intimidated into finding something to sure ourselves up with by clinging to, but get interested in the desire itself. The desire for certainty, the desire for stability, is something that we can and should be investigating. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Andamayandamakitayasatukarandadamase Sarayasatukarandadamase